Hello, welcome to episode one of the No Opinion podcast. It's time to push the button. Push it. Um, we have been down in Glasgow catching up with catching up. <laughs> Cats and cats and cats and cats and boots. We have been down in Glasgow catching up with Stacey Hunter from Local Heroes, who's been running a pop-up shop down there as part of the festival culture during the recent European Championships in Glasgow Merchant City. We thought this would be a good chance to catch up with some other designers who were also uh, part of this um, to discuss a particular question. Uh, which was um, hello <laughs> uh, yeah the statement that we had to chat around was heritage and tradition is stifling contemporary Scottish design of course uh, it was a statement not a question yes but um, the the one thing to say is we recorded it um, live in the local heroes space um, which was a, a sort of curated exhibition of some amazing Scottish design and designers work Um all in that space, which was open. I mean, it, is, it was a shop front. Um, and I think Stacey mentions it in the podcast that Merchant City used to be this amazing, bustling place where merchants sold their wares, but now it's turned into very much a... Cafes and restaurants. Exactly. Um, and yeah, there are very, very few merchants. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult to buy anything other than sort of food and refreshments there which is a bit of a shame um so yeah that's another nice thread that, that comes out of this chat but but yeah it was a great space to actually do the recording in um you'll get some nice ambient sound i particularly like the bit where the bin lorry arrives mm, yeah that's a good one <laughs> um your uh, your your microphone didn't seem to be working the best either but um no i was a little far away we had um four mics between five people so yeah and i was hogging that mic with you so i apologize um, we also have some product placement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so we we had some. Uh, mm, mm, mm. Oh, that's nice. We had some really good coffee from from the guys at Deer Green, um, and it was um, it, it helped us stay refreshed through the whole podcast. Yeah, the discussion was fueled by fueled by Deer Green by Deer Green Coffee. Yeah, it is was that, genuinely that, that official, delicious. That's the officially official line of how we say that. That is the official fueled line. fueled by Deer Green. I'm sure there was something else they needed us to say. So yeah, Deer Green are a Glasgow-based uh, roastery. Um, they make awesome, really fresh coffee from specialty beans, and they do loads of stuff other than just coffee, like equipment advice, sales actually installing the stuff uh, good slurping from Lyle there thank you um, yeah and skills training and a whole bunch of other stuff uh, and they actually founded the, the Glasgow Coffee Festival as well um, yeah so Dear Green Coffee thanks to them for um, fueling our discussion thanks Dear Green oh we should probably say who was there oh that would be a good thing <laughs> <laughs> so we were joined in Glasgow by uh textile and knitwear designer Jennifer Kent uh, of with Stacey Hunter uh, as we mentioned who is the curator for Local Heroes and with Emmeline Firth who runs a visual agency uh, who specialises mostly in graphic design but also um, within some other fields of design too. 
Yeah, and if you want to find out more about them, their Twitter handles and URLs will be in the show notes, so you can go and check them out. Okay. Yeah. Done. Done. Here's the podcast. <laughs> I'm Stacey Hunter, or I'm a design curator um, based in Edinburgh, but working across Scotland um, and internationally to promote Scottish design and craft. I'm Jennifer Kent, and I'm a knitwear designer based here in Glasgow. Um, I have my own brand, and I specialise in men's knitwear accessories, and I've just started doing some interior products too. Um, and I sell across the world via wholesale, online, and in my own shop in the West End of Glasgow. Hi, my name is Emlyn Firth. I run a design company called The Visual Agency, which is based here in Glasgow. Um, that's primarily a graphic design company. However, I also have been involved in projects like Scotland Can Make It and Indie Street, which are um, projects which commission collaborations with textile designers and manufacturers. Um, so the statement for today is heritage and tradition is stifling contemporary Scottish design. So I mean I suppose we should probably talk a little bit about what that the background to that and what what that heritage and tradition is. I don't know if you maybe want to kick that off, Stacey. Yeah, I mean, from a positive perspective, I think um, the things that we associate um, in Scotland with uh, heritage and tradition are master craftsmanship, really uh, sustainable, geographically specific um, types of craftsmanship and making that it's really important to preserve, um, not only because they're sustainable, but because they're part of our culture. Um, and I'm really interested in how design can be seen as something that's less of a superficial add-on to the end of a process and actually be seen as something that's an integral to our society and part of our culture. So from that perspective, heritage and tradition is a really rich theme to explore design and you know to look back at it historically. Um, so that's sort of where I suppose I would come from it at the outset from the kind of positive angle. So maybe let Jennifer. Yeah, coming from a fashion and textiles background and specifically knitwear as well, um, you'd probably be quite hard pushed to find a young knitwear designer or weave designer that doesn't see it as at least partly a positive, the heritage that comes from Scotland. Because if we go anywhere in the world, people have heard of Scottish cashmere, they've heard of Harris Tweed, and they kind of equate that with all those things that you were just saying, quality craftsmanship, um, you know, like well, well-made goods, highly skilled people making them. And so, yeah, I think it, I, I see both sides of it, but I think for, for a knitwear designer, a young knitwear designer, it's, it can be a re really good selling point almost. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's, it's, you know, the, this question is sometimes not an either or thing, because I think if you are a designer, then you, you deeply care about that heritage and actually that, that craft surviving and being passed down. And I think 
I learned a lot in the past four or five years about how a lot of that craft tradition is really in danger and we're not protecting it in the same way that we, what we might get onto, you know, talking about us not promoting contemporary design. We're not really doing a very good job of saving traditional uh, manufacturing and traditional crafts. You know, the, the, the things you mentioned, you know, some, some of the, the wool mills and the borders have been have to be saved by Chanel or, you know, Which is kind of interesting in itself, I guess, yeah. that someone like Chanel sees it as valuable mm-hmm. and yet maybe in Scotland it's not seen it, So it does, it does point to kind of a general kind of neglect of design and craft at any, any point in the process, whether that's traditional or contemporary. Is, is that because these um, the traditional methods are being... Uh, Undermined by bigger companies, or is it how highly disappearing? I think I it's, I think it's partly that. I mean, I think that um, I think if you speak to people in the tweed industry, you know, they, they're kind of you know, if, if it's if it's Harris tweeds, then they are undermined by much cheaper manufacturers who you know isn't it isn't actually that well made, or it's kind of a lighter cloth. Sometimes it you know people are, want a lighter cloth anyway, and it's not. Sort of thick Harris tweed that they want, but I don't know. Yeah, Jennifer's I think with better. knitwear, it maybe goes back to the offshoring of produ- production um, when a lot of the factories closed down and people, like lots of people, lost their jobs and it's not quite found its way back as a job to you know, a job to get into that's a safe, secure job. So they're not encouraged. They, they might have lost, their parents might have lost their jobs, their grandparents might have lost their jobs. And so I think there's a skill shortage and it's not really getting, um, there's not enough support there to, or money put towards it to, to fill that shortage. One of the stories that came out of the first um, edition of Local Heroes in 2016 um I won't say where the factory was because one of the reasons that designers are quite secretive about where they get their, um, where they get things made is because it's hard to get a factory, a knitting factory, to do a small run. So if you find that, it's a really valuable resource. And so um, I found out about this chap who I won't mention for obvious reasons, but he, in, in some ways, he, by, he's the, one of the only people in his region who will take small orders from contemporary designers who are just starting out or who um, even are fairly established. Um, so by small runs, I mean like maybe in the, in the region of like 50 pieces, for example. Um, so they're producing for very big clients, but then these very small clients locally as well. And um, I thought, gosh, this guy is single-handedly sort of propping up uh, the contemporary um, d- d- uh, textile design sector in his, in his neighborhood. Uh, and that's just down to, you know, that's down to his individual choice that he wants to do that. But surely we shouldn't, we shouldn't be in the position where, you know, we've got to rely on that. Um, it should be something that maybe, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of the knitting uh, industry. Jennifer knows more about it, but. But at least there is that, yeah. even if it is just that one, like yeah. at least there is an option for knitwear designers to, to go to him. Yeah. Whereas I guess if you look at other, um, elements of design there's just not that option like it, even yeah. in within fashion design there's not so am i, am I right in thinking though um as a textile designer if you graduate from a scottish art school or if you want to work in scotland 
essentially you've got very few, it's very, very limited openings for you. So essentially you're kind of forced into a, a route where you're, you're going to start your own label and then you've got myriad problems of promoting and everything else. But you, th- those opportunities aren't really there for, for design graduates. Yeah, I mean, textiles. there's limited jobs in Scotland for textile and fashion graduates. Um, like when I graduated, I moved to London and worked for, coincidentally, a Scottish heritage <laughs> knitwear company that based all their design in London. <laughs> um, so I don't, uh, it's not impossible, but yeah, there's not that many jobs. So I guess there's a higher percentage of people that start up their own company. Personally, I probably wouldn't have been able to have done it straight from uh art school and I really value the years that I spent in industry and through that um, I was introduced to the factories, some of the factories that I work with now. Yeah, I think, because I, I suppose I was thinking about, you know, that, that kind of graduate process. We've got four brilliant art schools here in Scotland. Well, more than four, actually. We've got loads of great higher education institutions. It's like, the, the you know, it's traditionally thought of as um, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee and Aberdeen, but it's, you know, there's more in each, in each city. Um, so we're, we're churning out hundreds of design graduates each year and then where, where do they go? And that's, I think that's always been a kind of perennial problem of what, what happens to that talent. Um, there's sometimes been talk about talent retention, but then I think it's often more valuable, like in Jennifer's case, to sort of go away and then come back and bring your kind of you're learning back to Scotland. Um, but I also kind of think there's a, there's maybe something interesting. I've always got this idea about a kind of polymath society that we've got in Glasgow. I mean, we're sitting here, you guys are conducting a radio interview, but you're both, you know, a designer and a photographer sitting here with radio technology and, you know, Stacey's commissioning product design, but she's got a PhD really in kind of architecture and urban planning and, um, I'm trying to waffle about textiles and I'm a graphic designer. So, we, but I think we're all like that in Scotland. We all kind of have to think in our feet and do a little bit of everything, which I think makes us quite unique as designers because we're not that specialised. I think we're also, because we're all running our own practices, essentially. So there is no option but to get your hands dirty with sorting out the accounts and managing projects and doing all those bits that you don't get taught when you're training or when you're learning your, your craft and your skill. But in order to sustain yourself and sustain your own business, you just have to get those things done. And it's just, just the way it is. I thought it was something interesting as well when Jennifer was speaking about the fact you went down to, to um, London to work for a Scottish sort of textile company thinking that the brand of Scotland is so strong and as a brand for that sort of thing that it doesn't matter if the product's actually made in Scotland or not. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's as long as it can be kind of sold that way. Yeah, um, almost used as a marketing tool. Yeah, and that's kind of, maybe that's part of that, that statement we were talking about at the start is that, is that you know, um, that heritage, that thing, the way we see Scotland um, is through that, that filter and it doesn't matter if it's in Scotland or not. Um, I don't know how... And there's also maybe like an element of what's trendy and what's not. And I think when I was working for that company, heritage was definitely on trend. 
um, and they used their history through all the marketing materials, um, even though only a really small percentage of their product was made in Scotland. Um, but I don't know if that's the case now, as things have kind of progressed. And I think, like within fashion, as a, I don't think heritage is as trendy. I think like things have gone a lot more contemporary and a lot more, you know, clean cut sportswear that kind of thing. So it's kind of interesting on that level of like trend whether where heritage fits in. And um, it makes me think about. I um, included Jennifer in a list of uh, designers um, that Fiona Hislop, when she went out to Japan recently, out to Tokyo, um, we curated a display of work by designers that are doing really well in Japan. Um, and, and it's probably not something that's totally obvious. You know, we don't think of Scottish design as being big in Japan, but it is. So um, I set about like thinking about, well, who are those people and where? And we actually looked at the distribution lists, um, like the, the, the stockists, if you like, of where people are stocked. So can you remind me the number of stockists that you have in Japan, roughly speaking, ballpark? About 20. About 20. Um, which, you know, so that, like, without getting into another discussion about developing our design culture in line with um, places like Japan, um, you know, it's really interesting to me that, like, that you're, you, I actually don't want to put words in your mouth, so how would you describe, like, what do you think your Japanese customers are buying into? I think in they're brand? partly, part of it is that it's made in Scotland and they correlate that with quality. Yeah. Um, but what, they're a really sophisticated market and consumers and they want to see something that's modern and contemporary but using those manufacturing techniques so they they don't want to see the same old thing made in Scotland they want they want modern design but using those uh, traditional skills and so it's like a combination of both things if that makes sense and w when you approach your branding um, I know that you've worked, I think I'm right in saying you've worked with Graphical House mm -hmm. on, on your brand. Um, what, when you're having a discussion about how to present your brand, like was the heritage, was heritage and tradition part of that conversation? or um, The made in Scotland part's really important in including in, um, all the kind of marketing material and things, but it's striking that balance of using the past as inspiration but to keep moving forward um, so yeah like you want to kind of take all the, the benefits and it, it's not like making up a story it is like everything's research design made in Scotland but using that in a contemporary context to appeal to the Japanese customer. Well I, I would actually like well, it's, it's your, uh, both of your expertise, um, both of you run graphic design consultancies, but um, what's your sort of perception or critique of Scotland the brand? I mean, not the not from a Visit Scotland official point of view, but... From like a graphic design? Well, well or from, a, I suppose, from a sort of advertising perspective, like um, how, if you were, you know, discussing it with a client, how would you describe Scotland the brand at large? Like not how it's packaged up maybe by official agencies, but how you think Scotland's perceived by... Um, people outside of Scotland? I suppose, like, at the moment, I think it's impossible not to ignore the, you know, I don't, don't want to say it, but, you know, the Brexit thing that's about to happen. And I think we've, we've always had uh, 
you know, th- th- there's been a lot of online debate about um, a sort of British identity swallowing up a Scottish identity, whether that sort of packaging whiskey or shortbread or whatever, or the you know, kind of walkers or bells kind of doing doing kind of tins at the airport, which say made in Britain rather than made in Scotland. I actually don't really care so much about that, but it's a sort of, it's a, I suppose it's sort of symbolic of what's going to happen next and whether we kind of, uh, in Scotland, feel the effects of what happens with Brexit and whether people are amenable to, to still, you know, buying into what we do here or whether they kind of feel a sort of collective shrug of indifference from us. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it's a kind of, it's a weird situation we're going into. And I, I think that I've only got a handful of international clients, but I suppose they're, they're kind of looking on a bit confused about what's going to happen next and, you know, even just basic kind of business things. So that's, that's a kind of real hard reality right now. Sorry to bring it to Brexit. Yeah, no, I heard um, Alec from Track speaking on the Monaco Entrepreneurs podcast yesterday, and he was saying that the Made in Scotland label is almost, it's like more sexy or something than the Made in Britain one just now with all the political upheaval that's going on. So it's almost like, yeah, like what, how do we decide to move forward with it? I mean, that probably feeds into like the, 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 you know, we've got the Visit Scotland campaign, which is like, which is, they've changed it to Scotland is now, which is a sort of hashtag campaign, which is obviously an attempt to try and make Scotland more contemporary and forward looking as it's, as a promotional tool. You know, it's, it's maybe, I mean, it, it, it could, it's not the most, it's probably something that's had to be done in a very short space of time to try and get something to happen. And it's, it's like, how does, you know, how do, is that is that Scotland trying to distance itself from from that sort of Brexit question and its tourist marketing, or I think we you look at the imagery that's used in the campaign, it, it definitely still has that heart back to the heritage. So there's a lot of hills, there's a lot of castles and things like that going on. But then you've got like shots of Andy Murray winning Wimbledon, and you've got um, like shots of Skyscanner and the universities and things like that. But for me, it doesn't go far enough. But then I don't think it's. And obviously, I'm not the target market for it. I think it's, it's not design focused. It's not necessarily creative focused. Um, there are images of, of the V&A in there as well, which is mm. obviously a big design marker for the, the country as well as, as, as Dundee. Um, but I mean, for me, I don't think there is obviously this aesthetic that comes with Scotland in people's minds. So when you, you say it, they associate it with the sort of the and the tweed and mm. all of the, the saltire and all that sort of stuff and like I don't I don't necessarily think we'll ever be able to, to fully get rid of that or move on from that and that's but fine. do we want to or well, do I mean, we want to yeah. use like the best bits of it as designers and then move it forward well, it feels like you've got to kind of pull some of these things together in a, in, a, in a way that it works for everybody like we were talking a little bit earlier before recording about Nordic areas as well and how the Nordic design is seen and how that, that sits alongside, you know, the sort of view of, say, Nor- Norwegian fjords and the historic aspects of Scandinavia and other areas, but you also think about it as a sort of modern contemporary design. So it attracts people from different aspects of, 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 of cultural activity to go to the countries. But Scotland's message, perhaps, is more wrapped up in, in the traditional aspects of things, you know, the hills and the, the stags and the gulf and the, the other things. So, so seeing, seeing Scotland through a contemporary 
height uh, temperatures would be a hard it's quite a hard thing to try and do but I, I mean I think in a, we, we live in such a sort of global society in terms of you know everybody to a certain extent has access to the same kind of advertising from global brands you know in the way that the personal is um, there are other other brands, obviously, <laughs> is marketed to people. This it doesn't matter whether they're in Cape Town or in uh, Campbelltown. It's the same kind of advertising. So, I just wonder whether um, w when I see um, a, a customer come into the pop up that we've got here today, who's from Greenland uh, and they work in the design industry and they're really interested in all of our products um, and they buy quite a few of them and take them home with them. That's obviously really exciting, but it strikes me that that consumer is design savvy. So, you know, they spotted this shop and they came in and they knew that all, the, they, they were literate about all of the stuff that was in here. It was speaking to them the same language that high quality um, design from Greenland or Finland um, or Norway would, um, so in the same way that when I think about Denmark, I think about beer, but I also think about, um, you know, like Marmeco or, um, you know, uh, colourful, bold. I've just realised I said Marmeco. I'm sure, pretty sure Marmeco's Finnish, isn't Finnish. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you think? Do you think it's kind of is is the word authenticity though for like tourists? Because I think. I think we all do that as tourists. We kind of look for the for the real thing. You don't go on holiday to, you know, sit in a Starbucks or a McDonald's. You, you're trying to find the authentic experience. And you know, I was saying, <laughs> off air, you know, I just got back from from Highland Games. Weirdly, a little family trip. I thought we'd holiday at home and do something really traditional, and um, and it was really interesting seeing how Americans and Canadians and uh, Spanish folk were all kind of like really embracing this Highland Games and then they went to like a little Cayley and a tiny little pub afterwards and they just wanted to be part of that and just experience that for for a day and that was great and um, I suppose we, we do the same thing but I guess in terms of a product point of view you know maybe they're seeing maybe they're taking these things in the same way that we would if we were if, you, if you're walking about a city you kind of have your radar on for what's the kind of an interesting part of the city which is off the beaten track a little bit and i think we all do that when we go abroad and but, but not just because we're designers i think other people do to do too so um like if we you know if i go to lisbon i want to buy like i'll keep looking until i find like a blanket that was made up in the northern part of portugal in the mountains or the the, the basket bag that's got the right that's got like a nice lilac trim rather than the, no, the, the the normal one that's in all the tourist shops. And I think that when visitors come to Scotland and they're looking for that, like they want it to be constructed, all the craft techniques to be there, but just maybe taken forward a bit and modernised. I think the provision for that is quite bad at the moment. It, like it's not easy to find that. Um, I mean, we're only here for a couple of weeks. But do you think there's actually people coming looking for that? And, and you get people kind of, because... I mean, we probably have a slightly different, you know, angle on things from 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 not being in Glasgow or Edinburgh. And I'm it's wondering that even like the difference between Glasgow and Edinburgh, mm. everyone's perception, like because you're oh, well, from Edinburgh, well, obviously, and well, to well, I've I've lived in Edinburgh for nearly ten years, but I'm from Glasgow. But um, I I work near the Royal Mile, which is obviously the you know the tartan. Uh, 
sort of carried it absolutely. Um, but and the thing is that lots of it's sort of quite cheaply made, imported um, cashmere. So it's that authenticity thing again. It well, it, technically it is cashmere, but it's not really Scottish cashmere in the way that people. Oh, yeah. And, and again, it's expensive. So it's kind yeah. of, it's kind of, yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, the, I mean, it'd be really interesting, like in terms of like, you know, the, the this discussion, like leading to some maybe um, findings or a bit of research or something like that. I'd be really interested to find out, um, you know, if there was a way of finding out from um, visitors to Scotland. Um, what because like the, from the small survey that we did, small survey sample of people who visited the show at the airport, and that was a very so the, the Air, Edinburgh Airport has something like two hundred I think des- no one hundred twenty different destinations around the world, so quite an international crowd of people who filled in that small survey, but they all said um, that their their perceptions of Scottish design had been design and craft had been altered by what they saw in our pop up at the airport. Um, and just you know, just it's, it's very anecdotal research. But people tell me I, I I want to buy this. You know, someone from Canada just just bought the raincoat, one of the Green Thomas scarves, and a track bag in one transaction. That's quite a lot of money. And you know, and do you yeah. think they came here expecting to buy that sort of design? You know, did did they come to Scotland looking for that? Or? Well, and that and that that particular customer actually ordered online, so we're shipping it to Ontario. Right. So that desire is coming from, you know, that they, they've perhaps uh, come across the project through Instagram or. Um, through another online um, bit of advertising, but it's I, I think it almost lies in the same sort of bank of, of evidence that I would cite that there is an appetite for that type of product. Um, and but then does it matter that it's Scottish? Mm. So is it adding value that it's from Scotland and that person from Ontario is drawn to that because of the Scottish connection, or if they'd have found those products on another like website? Yeah, or? exactly. I suppose I could. I've got the chap's email address. So I could ask him yeah, and find it, and maybe we could add. You could put it in the show then. notes. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of aware that we're kind of talking a lot about design in the context of products as well, yeah. and how we how you do things. And design, design is kind of a, it's a wider, it's a wider thing than just about physical products, and that's also the harder thing to try and get across. And 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 maybe is there a case that Scotland doesn't use design well enough in other ways? For people to really take this as Scotland, I nearly said Dundee there because I'm so I'm so pre- preconditioned to that. Um, I need to get out more. Um, but is it a case though that, that you know Scotland isn't using design well enough through society and through cities and other things that we are seen as a design country to come back so that the, the for contemporary aspect of design anyway? The, you know, the, well, we don't have down. an embedded design. That's culture. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't, and, yeah. and, and our cities don't have it. Our, our our government doesn't have it, and you know, so we're not seen in the same way as other countries that would embed design really well in in every aspect of life. You know, even if it's coming down to just things like having provision for cycles, or you know, how you navigate cities on foot, or uh, how you make sustainable, sustainable. And we we don't know how to commission design in yes. this country, and I think that's the and it's something that's really important that, that Stacey is doing and sort of saying, uh, you know, banging on about commissions because whether it's at this level about commissioning products, but it's also about how businesses commission designers and work with designers, and that's it's something that I think we've been all banging on about and banging our heads off the wall for a while with because. 
Um, people are still kind of suspicious of design here. They see it as a luxury and they don't see it as a necessity or something which is going to be useful. And you know, we see that as graphic designers because we're seen as expensive rather than something which will help people make money. And when we work with businesses, we're like their biggest fans and kind of going, right, okay, we're going to take your brand and we're going to make it visible and do everything for you and put it out there. And yeah, that seems like quite a lot of money quite a lot of the time yeah, initially. It's the first but thing then to it, cut out rather than to... Yeah. yeah. But um, everyone can be making their product, but it's there's no point if it doesn't if it's not get communicated there. correctly. Yeah. Yeah. It's an infrastructural thing. So we've got the products, we've got great, great things that are happening. You know, we've got them here in this room where we're recording. We've got people all around the country making great things and the people buying them. But maybe the country as a whole needs to think more about how it develops from, from that, that base level as well. How, how we embed design into things, how we make com companies understand it better, um, how we make cities understand it better. I mean, is there a fundamental problem with the perception of the word design? Mm. And that the, the word, like, I mean, designer, you tag that on the front of anything, it's generally handbags, fashion. Yeah, it's like... Expensive. It's very high-end, it's very inaccessible. It's, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's not really what design is in its essence. And that's what maybe we're lacking. But that's where marketing's come into from, from you know, high-end fashion and stuff like that, has, has, and cars and other things. You tag that on as a sales tool. Um, no, absolutely. And I think um, I think if you think back to sort of 15, 20 years ago, like um, quite a lot of businesses, um, say you were like a locksmith or a plumber or something like that, um, then you wouldn't really need to ever engage with a designer. Maybe just other than engage with a shop, a sign writer to get your shop uh, initially done or a printer that might do your business cards or something like that or some leaflets. But what happened with, with the onset of um, everyone having to have a website was that people either were faced with learning how to do their own website or having to engage with a designer. So uh, on, on one level, people are a little bit more design savvy. And I think we've gotten to the point where design went from being non, not that relevant to not very many people. And it's now become um, sort of uh, relevant and... Um, but it's, not it's still not seen as an essential component of doing business. It's seen as a sort of, well, it might give you a bit of a competitive advantage if it looks a bit nicer than the next person's. But, but in terms of understanding how having a designer on board at the very beginning of developing your business, um, having them as... So let me give you an example. Um, Codebase, which is one of the UK's biggest tech incubators, um, when they, they have a waiting list for people that want to come in and, and be based at Codebase, they now do, don't even... Um, they won't even um, consider you... Uh, as a, you know, if you're a new software company, a new tech company, unless you have a designer as part of your core team, so like at senior management level, um, which I think is brilliant. I know, round of applause. Well, that's that's really good because I had a conversation with them, you know, about a year or so ago. Somebody in there who said, you know, we don't see design as being important uh, at the, the stage that all the companies in here are at, and you know, so we'd rather they try just technically and failed uh, you know, until they succeed technically and then they can start to look at design and I thought that's, that's not the right way of doing this. I think it's finally hit home um, I mean I think in the technology world it's one of the easiest ways to see like you can point quite quickly to lots of um, whether it's an app or someone who makes hardware like Apple um, that 
it, having the best designer on your team is p potentially the, the, the difference between getting invested in or not. Um, and it's not got to do with um, at the level of what your logo looks like. It's, got, it's at the level of how has your d product actually been designed to work for customers at the user experience level, at the way that you communicate about your brand, you communicate about your product and your service, which is, um, I mean, that's a really positive step forward, I think, that that is now respected. I think as well, I mean, on the, not on the flip side of that, but, you know, just looking around the exhibition that's in, in front of us and what you've commissioned and what you've got in the shop, it's incredibly expressive and colourful and imaginative and experimental, I suppose. And that's something I think that when, you know, in the kind of times we're living in and we're talking about things being utilitarian and, well, what's the need for it? And sometimes I think as a designer in Scotland, you can feel like the time you've got to really be creative and expressive is pretty limited and to do research. So all those things do impact you as a designer. And I think what's really great here is that you're seeing, you know, that you know it's something which is quite joyous at a time of maybe a little bit of austerity kind of creeping in. Um, and I think you know we need we need that spaces designers to kind of create and innovate things and explore. You've know, got Gabriella there, who's you know been in the Netherlands. Uh, which academy she was at? Yeah, the Van Eyck in Maastricht. Yeah. You know, that doesn't happen enough. Yeah, because she's developed, I mean, she's invented a new product. Uh -huh. And <laughs> this is brilliant. This is what happens when we, as designers from Scotland, get to travel because we're a little bit cough. We, were, we are geographically isolated. And we get to uh, go out and research things and bring that stuff back and have a little bit of time to make, then it's great. But if we're getting bogged down in, in everything else and told, well, there's not much time or, you, you know. And that's why, like, this is such a good pro project and what Stacey's doing is amazing because it does give you, give designers in Scotland the opportunity to do something that's not within, you know, their usual remit. Um, could be outside their usual collections or seasons and that kind of thing. And it is... It feels like quite a privilege, but it's almost like that should be an integral part of designers' week to week, month to month yeah. life. Because <laughs> we want to get on and be designing stuff, yeah. not Do you know. There's, like, there's other things we can be supported with and helped with. Yeah. We can just get and that's and, a bit of a learning process, I guess. Yeah. Isn't it? Like, is that so? The things we're sort of talking about there, a couple of those conversations, is around like having that accessibility to design. So, and here, I mean, this is on the high street, essentially. Um, where people can come in and explore and play and see great designers work curated in one space, which there aren't many places that you can do that. Um, and I think that's probably part of the problem. Is there anything like this in other places in Scotland? Like, um, well, what, so what's really interesting about sitting here right now is like we're in the Merchant City quarter of Glasgow. Um, which at one time, the reason it would have been called the Merchant City is because it would have been full of merchants selling all sorts of different... In those days, it wouldn't have been called design products, but that's what a lot of them would have been. Um, whereas now, you know, it's, it's more typical to find bars, restaurants, um, that kind of... Um, and that's not just um, in the Merchant City of Glasgow, that's in a lot of different cities across Britain. Um, but, yeah, the opportunities to see and buy high-quality design are really limited. 
Um, and it's certainly not because, I don't, I don't think it's because there isn't a public appetite for it. I think it's maybe down to just um, dots not being sort of joined up at sort of the city planning level. And that's what you were sort of talking about, about where design, um, we, it gets uh, quarantined into these in, in sort of like different departments rather than being something that runs through. So if you, if you had someone um, with a design qualification in every government department, I think things would look really different. But maybe, maybe, maybe um, it's a case that cities should have like a chief design officer uh, involved at top level, you know, so that you have a city planner or you have a chief design officer, somebody who can oversee those sort of decisions. I mean, that might be a case, that might be a case of what, you know, be careful what you wish for because it might might also go the opposite direction. Hopefully, they'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> You'd hope so. I mean, I think Helsinki have got a chief design officer for their city that they put in. I don't know how that's working out at the moment, but it's... Like Did a, LA have one too? Hmm? Did LA not have one too that... I'm sure Edinburgh had some... I think it was more yeah. thought of as a sort of urbanism thing, but the ta tabloids always tend to call them czars, don't they? Always end up being design czars. <laughs> Why? Is that what you're going for? <laughs> so you're going yeah. Um, there was some sort of, uh, wasn't Sir Terence Conran the, 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 the yeah. sort of design advocate or something like that for Edinburgh or something like that? Um, but yeah, I mean... Um, well, that's, that's another thing, though. you bring in these big name designers, you know, when you do want to talk to people about design, you bring in these sort of celebrity designers in a way, like so if Terence Conran's or uh, Wayne Hemingway. Or, one for, for yeah, Manchester, Manchester for a while, yeah. 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 And it's like, you often bring people in who will say exactly the same things that the people are saying in the city they're you talking pay them about a lot it. of money to do it. Yeah, but they're making a lot of money to bring them in. I think Perth brought in uh, Wayne Hemingway to tell him how to do design, or you know, and it's like actually, you know, I think pretty much everybody would have the same opinions that if you just actually listen to people. But you've paid for this big person to come in to, to do that. Sorry, no, nothing against Wayne Hemingway. He's, he's a lovely guy, um, but it's that it's that it's that sort of why you why when people know these things already and it's already been discussed. Why waste the money bringing in somebody like that? Too? Well, and then the way it's played out in the public realm is things like, you know, if you don't know if any of you have ever been um, going to an accident, an emergency part of a new hospital, most new hospitals, it's actually impossible to find the door. You know, the, the way that they're designed, it's, it's just not intuitive. Like, this is the beginning, the middle and the end. This is the entrance, this is the exit, that sort of thing. And it's because they haven't really been designed as such. They've been cobbled together through decisions to do with cost and materials and sort of designed by shareholders really or by committee rather than by architects um, and and that plays out in the way that you know you've got schools falling down on on top of uh, children um, and we all know that we've got there, there's characteristics in Scotland that are similar to nations that are known as design nations and some of the character, characteristics are there which is that we have fantastic design skills, very qualified design lecturers and professors and good programs that are, you know, um, providing us with highly qualified graduates. But then we, you know, but then what we don't have that another design nation like Denmark has, for example, or Finland, is a design policy at government level. Um, so there's no kind of channel, way to channel all of those people coming out and their expertise into something that can be a benefit to all of us as a whole, all of, all of society as a whole. I think that's another perennial thing, isn't it, with, with Creative Scotland, because design has always kind of slightly slipped through 
the cracks in Creative Scotland's about you know what what is Creative Scotland's responsibility for designing? Obviously, you know Janet Arch has just resigned. I don't know if they've have they appointed anyone to replace her yet? Or is that an interim person that's been right, appointed, okay. I forget his name. He, he, he's just gone into the position. So he was just hired yeah. <laughs> and landed in that position. But yeah, there's that like Creative Scotland and Craft Scotland, and then a bit of a a, a vacuum or yeah. like missing part in the middle. Well, I think Creative Scotland, are, I think they've, they've, because they've come from the Scottish Arts. Uh, Council, yeah. um, it's always been seen as, be, or it's often been seen within art, the art world, that, that Creative Scotland is 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 not still focusing enough on arts, and then and then when it's trying to do other things, which is what it's there for, it's constantly getting pulled back again to by uh, as to it's not supporting artists, and as as I see it, yeah, and then as a designer, then you try and kind of tweak projects. To, to fit into something that might be able to get funded, whether that's arts or crafts. And that's a terrible way to be starting a new project by kind of changing it because to be either, you know, to fit into somewhere. No, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've said I was a craftsperson to yeah. get a residency before. You know, and that's, I've never called myself that. But it's like, fine, okay, I, yeah. I craft this stuff. <laughs> Can I have a residency, please? And it, you know, that... That works, um, yeah. and also I suppose it's like what vocabulary you yeah. use and everything. But uh-huh. Yeah, it's um, kind of I mean, like you're tricking people, though. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. You, you have to do <laughs> what you have to do. But, um, I mean, is that not integral in design, though? You have to solve problems in interesting ways, so yes. you just go right. Well, if I have to kind of tell us, yeah, I didn't I guess lie. It's a problem that flexibility yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I suppose yeah, like there are there are other. Things out. I mean, Brit, you know, the British Council are, are quite good at, at putting money behind projects. Yeah. They put money behind India Street, I suppose, and had the had the networks there to to kind of help us do that. Yeah, um, I think maybe in. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like in Scotland, UK, there is a presumption that if you do design, then you make money. Yeah, I was just yes. going to. Uh-huh. That's what I was going to say. I think, and it kind of ties into this heritage tradition conversation as well, in the sense that I think there's a perception that. A craftsperson is a sort of solo, uh, you know, one person, maybe small business type thing. Whereas um, a designer is like more of a sort of agency, money making, you know, having lots of uh, uh, high flying kind of uh, meetings and so on. And I think that, that, for example, this show has got quite a lot of craft in it. But the way that I tend to position local heroes, I just... I don't tend to use the word craft, I tend to use the word design, but that's because I um, I rehearse what de- how designers talk about themselves. So if a designer talks about themselves as a designer as opposed to a craftsperson, then that's the way that I talk about them too. Um, so it, it's there's, there's something, I think, to do with um, there's a, a perception that design is modern and craft is is old when actually there's a lot of stuff in here like Scott uh, Crawford's Jesmonite Trivet, um, Swazig's uh, jewellery, uh, Lynn Henders, uh, Lynn McLachlan's 3D printed nylon jewellery, Gabriella's sculptures, Cecilia's powder coated pins. I mean, the list just goes like the green Thomas scarves, your transit travel blanket, the track. But I mean, it's all really most of it is craft, but. Um, it's also design and it's also about like how um, people want to position themselves in an Instagram-led marketplace. 
Um, so, yeah, I think... Um, it's worth, worth pointing out, too, that quite a few of those folk, like certainly Gabriella and Alec, uh, you know, and people like Laura Spring, they all came out of communication design course, you know? So they, so they started out as you know, graphic designers or illustrators and kind of went, do you know what, I want to apply this. I want to, you know, put this down and make it into something physical. And that's... Maybe that's just a sign of the times, and maybe that's just partly a trend thing. Maybe that's people kind of coming through and kind of going, "Well, I value something in my hands rather than." You know, it's also an evolution, design. isn't it? It's kind of uh, you know the agency model you talked about, like the big agency that maybe designers get mi mixed up with a lot of the time. Is a it's kind of an old model now, and it's kind of not like there's a lot of more modern versions, like like your version or our version or other other things that are going on where smaller, smaller things people are being. Are finding new ways to do design. It's not just about working the way a big agency would, would would operate. So, you know, we might find ourselves building, making things out of concrete for projects just because it seems like a right, you know, it seems like a, a good solution to something. Or, yeah. You know, and, and you wouldn't do that maybe in a big agency as such. I know. love that. I love being called a designer rather than a graphic designer because people mm -hmm. just ask you to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's brilliant. You know, it's, it's like, oh, you're a designer. Can you do that for? Can you solve that or make that? Yeah, or I can work with someone who can help me make it. You know what I mean? And that's it gives, gives you opportunities. Yeah, whether you apply it in a graphic sense or whether yeah. you apply it in a in a, a more physical manifestation or, or whether you collaborate with somebody else and find a solution that you wouldn't have come up with otherwise, that's... that's we, were, we were never supposed to be in these silos in the first place. No. You know what I mean? If you, and this is it. If you look back at the, the history of design, it's, it's a fairly recent incarnation of designers being so specialised. And that, that kind of in itself things. brings like a big an identity problem that we kind of face, and it's kind of like you you, you look at um, you look at the the, the the diluting down of of design into these specific disciplines, and I think the most extreme example of that is probably service design, you know, or something like that, where you you're basically taking away all of the creative aspects of it and bringing it down to just a, a, a thought, a design thinking. Um, which is important, but it's it's like it shouldn't really be taken in isolation as much as it is. Well, I suppose, yeah, we, I think it's important to point out that I, th I think sometimes you have to explain to people that designers do think and that there is thought behind all these things. Because I was talking about these products in here being expressive and, you know, colourful and it's like, it's more than that. It's not just drawing pretty pictures. It's, it's really important that I, th I think designers in Scotland are incredibly critically engaged and they have to, you know, they think very practically and on their feet, but also there's a kind of, because we've got a kind of really strong contemporary art and sort of cultural life here. There's a kind of lot of overlap of, of discussion and thought that goes, goes into these things and, and forms things. And also, um, I suppose kind of, some, maybe that's a restriction sometimes. We don't, we don't just let ourselves go enough because actually we're quite conscious of what we're doing. You know, we, mm -hmm. we, we yeah. know that everything we put into the world, there's, yeah, there's a That's consideration a and a care and a sort of love. I, I, I think it's, it's good that we're sort of like getting getting really closer to provocation at the beginning. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. Um, because I think maybe I, I've been given a lot, to thought, thought, a lot of thought to what Scotland's national characteristics are within a design context. And um, I think that our ability, our plurality, like that... Um, ability to, to be someone like Jennifer who employs heritage and tradition and contemporary and modern at the same time in her business in a really kind of nuanced, intelligent way. 
Um, and like Emlyn was saying, like there's so many people who in reality are, um, you know, doing lots of different type of design work, artwork and all bleed. Because actually the way that we, in reality, um, and at a human level, you know, we are not just what we do for a living. And, you know, so your partner will be an artist or a theatre producer or a dancer or, you know, you've got more interest than just the thing that you do. And Scotland's sort of, I think, small enough that we have a sense of um, community that makes it really easy to collaborate. And I'm, I'm starting to get really interested in this idea of that pluralism, how it's easy to be pluralistic as a designer. And the, the collaborations may be quite an interesting like uh, point because I think even like working with a graphic designer and like all those relationships kind of feed into each other, and I guess it all comes like we're all designers all working towards a design through a design process of like research and development and things. But there's a commonality to yeah, it, isn't there? Whatever we then apply it to. So there's an understa a common understanding, I guess, between people, um, which is really nice. Yeah, and and that's I mean that's yeah that's what design is in its in its nutshell. Though is that sort of it is the thinking part, really the the process that everyone goes through. It's just how you apply it is a, is a different maybe a different approach, and and that's where the, you can make interesting things maybe happen. But that criticism you mentioned criticalness slightly in what you said, but that's probably something that's really important too is that you know as designers we're all probably quite quite critical and that's that's really important sometimes that gets left out when people are doing like workshops and design based things they don't get critical about any of the ideas that have been generated it's all everyone's idea is valid but actually in order to to to, to, to progress and move forward you have to kind of deconstruct these ideas and see which ones are better and and, and develop them and I think that's why designers really um, like com the commissioning process of projects that are like cultural projects like this one in Scotland can make it in India Street because um, there's you're in a you're in dialogue with um, potentially a, a, another in my case like a curator or a producer but um, so when that during that product development phase and the commissioning process so you know you have a conversation about what. Have you ever thought about making? A, have you ever thought about doing beach towels? And you know, in the case of risotto beach towels last time, um, or, or you know, have you ever thought about doing? Karen did an umbrella, for example, um, and then you go backwards and forwards where the designer says, "Well, you know, uh, I'm thinking about making it in this art with this artwork and in this size." And then I'll maybe say, "Oh, but do you think it might be if it fitted into this size of parcel? Do you think it might do better?" When you're selling it abroad, or you know, so you go through, like you said, like all those little t minute design decisions that all lead to something being the way that it looks now, the finished product here in the exhibition. Um, but is that what's missing? You know, from from like that that fabric again. We'll go back to sort of city fabrics and things like that, and just general stuff that we're we're not refining ideas properly in that way. There's no design coming in to to make these things better. Is that does that make sense as a point at all, or am I just kind of well, there's in my own head? No, I mean, I, 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 it's not just designers that notice things like, I mean, everybody, I think, I can't think of anyone in Dundee who thought it was a good idea that a car park got built blocking the view from the DCA. Mm. You know, like, that makes people really cross, because it's nonsensical. It I made me cross to too, but I parked my car there. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it can be useful too, can't it? But um, but there's there's these sort there's this sort of idea, I suppose, of like common sense, um, and that's maybe where like you don't call it design, but there's just this sort of common sense of like, well, mm. yeah, you know, why would you block a view um, from a place that's a gallery if it's not really absolutely necessary? Um, but it's, it's a blindness to to what was actually made something special or made something good. It's 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 like it's there now. Now we it can take in isolation. You know, there's no right to view build a car park. Um, that sort of thinking, because that's 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 the kind of that was the kind of you know, by the book thinking. It's like if you were looking at it, saying right, somebody wants to build a car park there, they don't think right, is that a good idea? They just think well, there's no law to say there's a right to view, so you can build a car park. Off you go. But then, if you were to embed design in that commissioning process for the car park, and the brief said we want a creative solution for a car park that doesn't obstruct the view, then surely that's a better approach to that as a whole. Yeah. What happened in reality was they said we want a car park, and everyone said we think that's a really bad idea. So they said, well, how about we have a car park in the same material as the art centre, um, but we can't afford the exact same material, so we'll make it a cheaper version of it. And then you have this kind of cheap version of the, the, the DCA in this case. But, you know, uh, it's you, a car park. You, you talked about like if cities had design, um, like a design advocate or, or design spokesperson. The way that the, the way that it used to work, I think uh, up until or up until maybe the forties, forties uh, or fifties, and even up to the sixties in some uh, Scotland's have always had a relatively autonomous planning and architecture, like cities have their own departments, but there was this idea of a, there was an overall chief architect, but there was also city architects. So one person in Glasgow would be, would have an overall purview of um, all the different decisions. And so there was an element of coherence to it. Um, and, and that was the same in other cities as well. And I think we have lost, I think that um, despite the fact that we've got all these qualified people coming out of design schools, they are not integrated into department, into government departments. So you can find, for example, I know this sounds, sounds unbelievable, but you can actually have a planning department in Scotland that's got, that no one in that department has a design qualification. And that might sound quite unbelievable, but I assure you. It's no, I, can, I can believe it. <laughs> So if we're saying that we should try and embed design within organisations, within governments, within everything, and within process as well, um, I mean, what other solutions and things can we be doing like right now that we can try and implement, that we can try and work on, um, that will help improve the design community in Scotland, the perception of Scottish design and its sort of reach internationally? Well, I mean, if it was up to me, I'd love to see designers in residence. Um, in places that think that they don't need design or that they don't do design, so I'd love to like have you and you know um, the the I don't know the people that deal with parking or you know uh, I think that'd be brilliant like to have a nationwide sort of designers in residence program um, and for that to be taken quite seriously and funded properly and to give people enough time to actually make a difference. Um, do you think that needs to a, a change in how design is, is understood that it, you know at that at level? So it's not just an add-on; it's not just a, a luxury thing. It is something integral and needs to be. Well, the used. way that the way that you could, I I, the way that I operate is um, I give designers my trust that they know that the reason that we're working together is because they're a designer and I like their work, so I give them a lot of freedom and trust. 
and I, and I think in that in that same way. I mean, the designer in residence idea it could be someone who's uh, a textile designer working in another a completely different industry or a jewellery designer, and it's about trusting that somewhere in that process, in very maybe quite unexpected ways, um, that person's contribution could be understood as um, valuable and necessary. I guess it's hard as well because does there have to be a like a level put across the field of good design or something like yeah, who has the bar? Yeah. yeah, like and who decides what yeah, like amazing. where Scotland should sit within that. It's really tricky. Even for like if there's if there was like a trade show or something and there was a Scottish pavilion within that who's choosing I, I get what asked should be Scottish, good Scottish design. Yeah, and I, I get asked that quite a lot. Like, how do you how do you pick people? How do you decide? Blah blah. And I think um, I, I know this sounds like quite a neoliberal thing to say, but I sort of think, well, it's like the market decide. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, anyone can call themselves a designer or a photographer or a dancer, but no one's going to give them a show or if they're if they don't have an audience, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not going to sell tickets or whatever. Um, so I think you know, I'm interested in. If I think someone's really good and they've got lots of Instagram followers, then they're probably quite good. If yeah. I think they're really good and they don't have any, they're maybe, <laughs> they're maybe I should think, well, what, what's going on? You know, so letting the market side to a certain extent is a good indication. You can have a really good Instagram with no good yeah, design. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking, I've seen lots of good. I've seen lots of Instagram guys with lots of followers. Yeah, yeah. Lots what, of bot followers. <laughs> we, 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 you know, we've we've been here a few times now. We've you know, panel done this thing. Kate, you've done it. You've set up local heroes we've got hypermarket SWG3 so there are people doing it it's proven to be a success everyone loves it so why aren't Creative Scotland taking that model and you know where what what happens when you know Milan comes along where's where's Scotland represented then you know we kind of have like one craft Scotland thing tucked away off you know in London Design Week but it's not like a strong, bold, contemporary message. It's yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's it's fine for what it is, isn't it? But it's not like where's it's the not rest of it? It's not confident, really. Right. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Who's responsible for design in Scotland? Is that kind of? Well, I just I, I just sort of think that. I mean, I felt like when we did Scotland can make it. It was that was about marrying six designers with six manufacturers, and mm. I was like, well, we could do this a hundred times over. Mm. Um, and then the industry thing was about sending us out to work with um, craftspeople in India and it's just like god you could do this for every single country and you know you could find you know 200 brilliant Scottish based designers to go and do that with and research with and make those trade links with you know um, and then with this it's like you know Stacey's so passionate about commissioning and about putting a spotlight on on all this great work so why? Why isn't that being picked up? I, I don't get it. I don't. I, I don't I think, get why this more of this isn't happening yet. I, I think. Um, I think it's 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 a more receptive environment now than it has been. And that, it's funny you mentioned Milan because um, I had these plans specially made with the idea of reusing them, and I actually have something up my sleeve about trying to do something at the Milan uh, salon uh, this uh, coming year. Um, but yeah, I want Scotland to be at Design Miami. I want Scotland to be at Milan, and I want us to be confident and and. Um, and bold and like we're absolutely you know have all the ability to do that so um, 
you know, there's lots of things on the horizon that give me hope, like the Vini Dundee um, is opening next month, and I, th I think that the ripple effect of that, of um, of just design being like on the script at a national level. Yeah, so you know, there's a new bridge over the fourth, and when it was being opened, um, you know, the the our, our unelected, you know, civil servants um, who who are, who at the end of the day are the sort of mouthpiece for what gets what's on, on this script that you see if you're watching six o'clock news or whatever. So anyway, the bridge is, you know, it's, they're talking about innovation and the technology and the engineering. Design wasn't mentioned. It's like, oh, I'm pretty sure someone designed it. I'm pretty sure designers were involved in this at some level. But um, if it's not on the script, then that's a big problem. But with v Dundee um, coming, I think that, that there is a chance, hopefully, that uh, the, 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 they can do more of, their, of the work that they've been doing around the country and... Um, that along with agencies like Craft Scotland um, and the work that they do to keep craft techniques alive and yeah it, it just I'd, I just love design I would love it if design could just be a, a regular part of our dialogue and discourse and be discussed in um, broadsheet and tabloid newspapers nationally not as something strange and discussed in terms that are as if what design does is um quite you know difficult to understand or out there um i'd like but it to what just does be discussed it need normally. to like get there does it need money i just think mm -hmm. more of i think it yeah like emlyn said just more more design projects would be a really good yeah. start i think that even i think a design policy potentially could be a brilliant thing but i think a design program like a three-year design program where we could put some of, you know, we could get, we could canvas amongst the design community and say, what do you think were some of the best projects of the last five years or whatever? Mm -hmm. What ones should we try and replicate, you know? And, Which, and, and you know, we were talking about the fact that designers, designers need help initially, you know, financially, but this is something which does, let's not forget, like make a lot of money and a lot of business and a lot of jobs. You know, it's, it's not, as soon as you set people off doing these things, and they're creating incredible businesses. Yeah. You know, you, you look at Alec and how many people he's employing now yeah. and how he's exporting and, you know, look at the wonderful things you're doing, Jennifer. Do you know I mean, you're, you're exporting all over the world and that's that's brilliant. And, and I think sometimes we do forget that, <laughs> like, yeah. as designers, that by placing orders with factories, you're helping, you know... And um, photographers. And, I mean, there's this yeah. whole culture of, like, there's, there's if you were to add up in the last year all the different sort of, if you want to call it, contractors that you've worked yeah. with, um, the, the, from the packaging to the yeah. photography and the, yeah, it's it's It's, it's, it's amazing and there's so many people all... Well, that, that kind of, like, I mean, the, there's another sort of issue wrapped up with that without, I know we're trying to probably wrap things up here, but the, the sort of that concept of growth within, within business that design... That design is often part of, but it's often not seen in the same terms. Like when, when a lot of places talk about growth, they mean people building massive companies of hundreds of people. But actually, that growth of all these small, independent or smaller suppliers, designers, creators, all working together as a as a bigger thing is 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 a really, you know, I think that's a more worthwhile growth, almost more yeah. natural growth yeah. Than, yeah. than than is often seen out there. I think you've really hit on something there that's extremely significant because um, the way that we currently so for, I get I get the impression from my interactions with um, agencies like Scottish Enterprise that 
um, if you're not at the level of being VAT registered, i.e., like earning an, uh, enough, uh, turning over a, a certain amount, um, then you're not suitable for support to grow and for growth. And and the thing, the, the thing that I don't understand about the um, dismissal of small businesses um, is that you know one we don't we we don't contribute to unemployment statistics because we employ ourselves and um, we put probably a lot more into the system than we take out purely because self-employed people don't have any <laughs> a lot of the time don't have any paternity or maternity rights and pensions and, and things like that um, so we contribute a lot by paying tax um, but take very little back and are very self-sufficient and but, but I, I feel that the way that um, self-employed people are treated in Scotland is is quite poor, actually. I don't feel supported at all. I totally or encouraged. agree with that. Yeah, and I think there's something. There's a mantra about growth, and that isn't always applicable to the design business. Because I mean, if you, you know, a few years ago we took students to Berlin and went around, you know, amazing design studios, and so many of them were sort of saying, "Do you know what we've done? We started expanding and we've cut it back because we were losing our identity and what we wanted to do." So maybe they were like 20 people, then they went down to 10 or even five because they were like, it's too much. Because it's, it's not always about quantity. It's not just about you know, getting bigger corporate contracts or making more jobs. You know, design is designed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. Like de designers often like add value as well. Like even talking about this unit, like you've taken an empty unit and all you've done is add value to it by presenting this work here and getting people in and people like noticing this shop that will probably be a benefit for whoever's next to <laughs> um, And just, yeah, like, I can't, it was connected to something that was said earlier and now I forgot. Well, I think that's a key thing, <laughs> a key benefit of design is that designers, whatever you bring a designer into at whatever level on any project, they usually leave it better than they found it. Yeah. You know, they look around and they look for all the problems well, they should, yeah. hired them out. <laughs> and uh, I think that's uh, something that can be applied way beyond this idea of a superficial thing or an aesthetic thing or um, a sort of polish or about trying to charge more for something or um, it's just really about... Uh, Making things better. Yes. Okay, so that was episode one. Um, we will be releasing these uh, episodes in a, a sort of fairly non-formulaic fashion. So um, yeah. we, if you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, other places that we may exist, uh, am I thinking of missing any? It's at Agency of None on Twitter and Instagram. That's, that's good to um, remind people. Yeah, and if you've been affected by any of the issues or <laughs> things in the episode, yeah, drop us a tweet. Um, if you've got any comments on things that have been chatted about, if you have any opinions, don't have any opinions. Yeah, if you think we've got stuff wrong or you want to, to have a chat about things, then yeah. Yeah, we're on there. Come, yep. and, come and find us. Um, and we will see you in the next one whenever that happens to be. Cool. Press the button. Pressing it. <laughs>